5, beginning in verse 4, 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with water only, but with water and with the blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that He has borne witness concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. The one who does not believe God has made Him a liar, because He has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning His Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for your word and for this blessed privilege that we have to gather together in your name and to hear from you. I pray that by your Spirit, God, you would lead us and teach us and that we would hear your voice and give our amen from the heart, God, to you and to all that you want to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, it's the end of a, another year and starting a new year, so Happy New Year to you. It's always kind of a hard thing to know what to say at the beginning of a new year. Merry Christmas, because Merry just seems too frivolous somehow. Happy New Year, that seems um, too um, light or something, because as Christians we know it's more than just being merry and being happy. Um, but God being exalted in our lives and this John's writing about in this epistle that we would walk in fellowship with him. You know, there's not a lot of certainty in life other than Jesus. Um, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said the only sure things in life are taxes and death. And actually we have more than that because we, we have Christ. Nobody knows whether this new year will be uh, filled with trial or, or what. Um, I remarked um, oh, a number of months ago that I went about a year from about this, I think it was the beginning of the summer of 2018 to the beginning of the summer of 2019, where I had just seemed like no problems. And that just never happens. And that's why I could think of it and remember. I said, what is going on here? And then, but then I broke my ankle, and then it kind of has been gone on from there. And so it's been just that parenthesis of just no problems. That's unusual because we live in a problem-filled world. And there is always one around the corner. If you're not going through problems now, just wait. We know they're going to come. You know, it's the interesting thing to me, though, um, as much as there is in the New Testament and even throughout the Old Testament about people not finishing well, the, the Scripture never places the problem for people finishing, not finishing well. The Scripture never places that on problems that we face in life. Really, the Scripture leaves us without any excuse for not running well 
and finishing well. And that's sobering. And there's no problem with having sympathy, empathy for people that are going through problems and praying that they would not succumb um, to the weight of, of what they're going through and that they would, would run well and continue to trust in Jesus and finish the course that God has set for them. We should be praying for each other in that way. But when a person fails to finish the course well, it is not because of the problems they've gone through. And this passage speaks to this a bit. And so we've already, last or two Sundays ago, I actually worked through verses 4 and 5. So today we're supposed to start at verse 6, but I wanted to read verses 4 and 5 again because in the context here, it's about overcoming. And, and it says, we, those who have placed their faith in Christ, have overcome the world by virtue of our faith. Because Christ has overcome the world. John 16.33 says that in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So that's done. Jesus has overcome the world. So therefore, if I place my faith in Christ, I have overcome the world through Christ. So he says in verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus has overcome the world. And when we place our faith in Christ, the world is overcome in us, in our experience. So the number one, perhaps, maybe not number one, but one of the big three of why we succumb is the world. And as soon as you place your faith in Christ, the world is overcome. I don't, you know, I I think probably what John's getting at with that is that... um, that in itself is such a tremendous victory over Satan when a person places his faith in Christ. Because we were, we were belonging to Satan, who is the God of this world, and when a person places his faith in Christ, he has been removed from the domain of Satan and he's been placed into Christ. And God has won the victory. And the God of this world has lost the victory. He's been defeated. And the world system that he is in charge of has lost the victory and been defeated. We have overcome by simply placing our faith in Christ. But will we we continue to believe? Will we continue to believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And that's where these next verses are about Jesus is the Son of God. And there are three witnesses to that fact. Verse 6. This is the one, Jesus, the Son of God, this is the one who came by water and by blood, Jesus Christ. Not with water only, but with water and with the blood. So what is the water and what is the blood? There are a lot of um, possibilities and explanations to this. Um, I'm just going to focus on what I think it is. The water would be the baptism of Christ, and the blood would be the death of Christ. And these things are bearing witness of who Jesus is as the Son of God. 
When we place your, our faith in Christ, we overcome the world. Our faith in Christ, who is the Son of God. Well, I wonder, is my faith misplaced? And so we can begin to waver in our faith. And we can begin to doubt, is Jesus, like John the Baptist questioned, and I brought that out two weeks ago, are you the one or do we look for someone else? And so John here is bringing us back to the witness of who Jesus is. He's given three witnesses, and the first two are his baptism and his death. Well, the baptism is pretty easy to understand, because at his baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my son. Okay, pretty clear. So why should I doubt who Jesus is when God himself says from heaven, This is my son? Pretty strong witness. At the crucifixion of of Jesus, the Father, while Jesus is on the cross, does not speak. So where is the witness? And we would look at the crucifixion of Jesus, maybe not we, I'm saying rhetorically, people would look at 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 the death of Jesus and go, that is no witness to him being the Son of God. That is the witness to him being simply a man. How can you see the deity of Jesus in the death of Jesus? But the centurion who was at the cross, remember what he said? This is not a man. He says, behold, this is the Son of God. And so the guy who had the closest experience with the crucifixion of Christ and is an unbeliever is saying, behold, This is surely the Son of God. And we don't know what he was seeing, but it left him convinced of who Jesus is. We know that the veil and the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We know that dead came up out of their graves. We know that there was an earthquake, and we know that the earth turned dark for three hours. But I don't know if there's any of those things that convinced that that man to that centurion that Jesus was the Son of God. He was watching how he died. And that man says, I've never seen a man die like this. And that man says, the death of Christ is proof that he is the Son of God. And by the way, you've heard me say it before. Um, this is kind of fresh in my mind again because the JWs, Jehovah's Witnesses, came through his hill um, a few days ago. I missed them. Um, come the other people living around, um, saw them and talked to them. But, you know, one of the things that the Jehovah's Witnesses say is that Jesus is not God. And they say he's not God because the Scripture calls him the Son of God. And so Son of, to the Jehovah's Witnesses, means less than God. Something other than God. God with a small g, they might say, but not with a capital G. The problem with that is Jesus is also in Scripture called the Son of Man. And Son of Man does not mean less than man. No Jehovah's Witness thinks that Jesus was less than man. Every Jehovah's Witness believes Jesus was fully man. Well, if Son of Man means fully man, Son of God means fully God. It does not mean less than. 
And so in the scripture here, speaking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the baptism of Christ and the death of Christ bear witness that he is the Son of God. It is the same thing as saying bearing witness that he is God. If you look at this, at the end of this chapter, verse 20, and it says, And we know that the Son of God has come, who has given us understanding, in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So that's about as clear a statement as you get in Scripture, that Son of God means God. This is the true God and eternal life. The water, the baptism, at Christ's baptism, God the Father said, this is my son. At his death, God was saying, this is my son. And it's biblically, you can't really separate death of Christ from resurrection of Christ. In Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that at the resurrection, God was declaring with power that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. So there is objective historical witness that Jesus is the Son of God. Do all people accept that? No. But nobody has an excuse. It is an objective, historical witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When God did speak um, audibly so that all people could hear him, he didn't mumble. He was very articulate, very um, clear in what he said. Many people said, it has thundered. Because they didn't want to believe that God had just spoken and spoken clearly concerning Jesus being the Son of God. Those people will be without excuse. It says in verse 7, not only do the water and the blood bear witness of who Jesus is, verse 7, it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit was bearing witness then, but the Spirit is bearing witness now, and he's going to say within us. Verse 8, for there are three that bear witness, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and they are in agreement. Deuteronomy says that every fact is confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so we consistently see in Scripture that God himself holds himself to that standard. He doesn't need to. God doesn't need any witnesses other than just him saying it's true. But God will hold himself and consistently does to the same standard where he says by, the, by two or three witnesses, every fact is confirmed. And now he gives us three about who Jesus is. His baptism, his death, and the Holy Spirit in agreement with each other, bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. If we receive the witness of men, verse 9, and we do, if somebody, if, if three people come to you in total agreement with a certain statement, we are apt to believe them. It would be acceptable in a court of law. Well, if the witness of men is believed, 
the witness of God is greater. For the witness of God is this, that he has borne witness concerning his son. Through his baptism, through his death, and through the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 is parenthetical. And so it, it makes sense just to, we won't do this, but if you skip verse 10 and go down to verse 11, it says, He has borne witness concerning His Son, verse 11, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. But in between, verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God, or the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God, has the witness in himself. The Holy Spirit is in that person. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. There are a lot of liars. Now again, I, I want to be clear with this. If a person denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, they make God a liar because God has clearly borne witness to who Jesus is through Jesus' baptism, through Jesus' death and resurrection, and through the Holy Spirit. So any person who would say Jesus is not the Son of God makes God a liar. He is not saved. Now, How does that apply to us as Christians? Does it apply? I believe it does. Because I, I, I think that one of the big things that scriptures, the New Testament in particular, tries to communicate to us is that you can have placed your faith in Christ for salvation, but you are no longer believing in Christ from day to day. And we live our lives based on, on the best we can do. It's not that you stop believing in God. It's not that you become an atheist. But we can start living as though God is not able for this life. And life depends upon what I do and not Christ. And so for all practical purposes, you can be a Christian who is living like an unbeliever. You're no longer believing Jesus is the Son of God. And the only way to live this life is to believe that testimony and to stand on it. I have a, Patsy and I have a friend that um, he and his wife are starting their probably fourth career in life. And they're now missionaries in Pakistan. And he's teaching Greek in a small seminary in Pakistan. Amazing. He's never taught Greek in his life. And he's teaching Greek for the first time. Unbelievable. And it is very, very difficult circumstances. And all I can think about is retiring. And he's over there teaching Greek. He has a, a, a friend who's in prison in South Carolina who has been a very faithful witness of Christ and has led lots of Muslims in the prison system. As a prisoner himself, he's led other prisoners, Muslim prisoners to Christ. But now he's turning away from God. It's a big grief to our friend. This man has spent several months in solitary confinement, and he has moved now toward deism 
And now he's, he's moving toward um, agnosticism, doubting that there is even a God. After being used by God to see many Muslims come to faith in Christ. I think of some of the faithful witnesses that we've had in, in our church body who are now with the Lord. Um, two particularly that I think about, Leonard Franklin and, and um, Vincent Roshager. And, you know, at 90, still faithfully walking with the Lord. Vincent leading a Bible study in the retirement center that he was in till at 90 years old. Running well, finishing well. Continuing to believe in their practical daily experience. Jesus is the Son of God. And life does not depend upon me. It depends on Him. Some walk away. You can't blame the prison experience or even solitary confinement. I can have empathy for that man. And I can say, I don't know that I would have done any better under, some, un, under the same circumstances. I don't throw stones at him. But neither do I make excuses for him. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, he is adequate for solitary confinement. He is adequate for all of life if I believe he's the Son of God. That's where John's going with this, I I really believe. So in verse 11, and the witness, the Holy Spirit is witnessing, and he is witnessing to this, that God has given us eternal life. I don't know what the world is saying. I do know what the world is saying. I don't know what kind of voices we hear in our heads. But if we were to listen to the Spirit of God, we would hear him saying, you have life. You have eternal life. Because you have placed your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And when you placed your faith in Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, God gave you eternal life. And the Holy Spirit is in you telling you that. What do we listen to? So I have voices in my head that tell me, and I'm using I'm not literally talking, I'm not hearing voices, don't worry. But I have voices, feelings, thoughts, maybe thoughts is the best word sometimes, of just, I'm death. All I'm experiencing is death. I think Paul felt that. I quoted him two Sundays ago where in Corinthians he says, death works in us. That life might be manifest through us to others. And sometimes all we can be aware of is the death. How far we still have to go. That we have not arrived that we feel like we take two steps back for every step forward, still have the same short temper, same lust, same weaknesses, sometimes it feels like nothing has changed. But if I listen to God, the Spirit of God in me is telling me I have life. 
I have eternal life. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. So when you receive the Son, you've received eternal life. Verse 12, he who has the Son has the life. Do you have Jesus? If you've placed your faith in Christ, you do. And if you have the Son, you have His life, eternal life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So if I believe the witness, what God says concerning Jesus, that He is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Son of God. If I believe that witness, then I have eternal life. And if I do not believe that witness, I am not a child of God. Jehovah's Witnesses are not children of God. They do not believe the witness that Jesus is God. Nice people. They can walk up to you and knock on your door and you're not going to think they're going to shoot you or something. Because they're working their way to heaven. They're nice people to be around. But make no mistake, Scripture is very clear. If we do not accept God's witness concerning Jesus as the Son of God, God Himself, then we are not God's children. We are making God to be a liar. You do not have His life. So, four things this passage is saying, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Four things. Number one, you've overcome the world. Simply placing your faith in Christ means the world, for you, has been overcome. Number two, you have the witness who is the Holy Spirit in you. Number three, you have eternal life. And number four, you have the Son of God Himself. If you believe in Jesus, if there was a moment in time when you said, I believe, Jesus is the Son of God, like that centurion did at the foot of the cross. Surely, this is the Son of God. Does anybody doubt that man's going to be in heaven? I don't. I look forward to seeing him. Because Scripture says, believe and you shall be saved. And if you have believed that Jesus is the Son of God, then the world has been overcome. The witness, the Holy Spirit himself lives in you. You have eternal life and you have the Son of God. Therefore, I may not have any idea of what this new year holds. But I know this. The Son of God is sufficient for it. And I don't know whether I'm going to walk away or walk in fellowship. I purpose to walk in fellowship. But I know that there will be no excuse should I not finish well. 
because the Son of God lives in me. Eternal life is in me. The Holy Spirit is constantly bearing witness to who Jesus is for the purpose of drawing me to Jesus. And the world has been overcome, my greatest enemy. You have life, eternal life. We had a guest speaker at Thanksgiving conference, and um, I thought it was kind of interesting and good what, what he was saying. He says, Jesus is your life. Therefore, this guest speaker is saying, my life is perfect. Because Jesus is our life. And Jesus is perfect. Now he says, my circumstances aren't perfect. And the man lives in chronic pain. He was in a, in a, in a horrific car accident as a young man, and it just broke almost every bone in his body. and his, his, his back was broken in several places. And he lives in just chronic pain. But he says, my life is perfect because Jesus is my life. Circumstances are not very good. But Jesus is my life. I appreciate that. I'm not dead. I'm alive. You have overcome the world. You do have victory. You are not defeated, but victorious. You can, therefore, walk in victory in an overcoming life as you walk. You have Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, you have everything. He is wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption, pretty much covers it. You have the witness of God within you. You have the Spirit of God in you, bearing witness of Jesus Christ in you, of the eternal life in you, of victory over the world. Therefore, we can have supreme confidence about the new year. Jesus is sufficient. And no reason to not finish well. In the seven, to the letters to the seven churches in Ephesians 2 and 3, sorry, Revelation 2 and 3, one thing is repeated to every church. Overcome. Seven times, every one of the seven churches, John, as he writes Revelation, and he's quoting Jesus, Jesus is saying to each church, overcome, overcome, overcome. Seven times. Must be a big thing on Jesus' heart and mind. Some of those churches didn't have it very good. Church of Smyrna, Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not in our synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. Overcome. To the church at Pergamon, I know where you dwell, 
where Satan's throne is. Man, can you imagine living in a city where Satan's throne was? I think that would be pretty good reason for saying, do you really expect me to live the Christian life where Satan lives? And Jesus would say, absolutely. Because Jesus has defeated Satan. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on it, the stone which no one knows but he who receives it, the name which no one knows but he who receives it. The point is, if I believe Jesus is the Son of God, really that's all it is. If I live each day, day after day, truly believing my faith is in the Son of God, and the Son of God lives in me, and He has given me eternal life, there is no question of how I will finish this life. But if I should turn away from believing in Jesus, I may not finish well. And there will be no excuse. As hard as life might become. I'm not preaching to you all, I'm preaching to myself. I'm a wimp. <laughs> and we go, oh, woe is me. And I think, man, any Christian living at China, in China would look at our lives and say, we've never had a bad day. And there are so many brothers and sisters around the world that would say, you're thinking about tossing in the towel? Over what? Do you not know the Son of God lives in you? Do you not know that you've received eternal life? Do you not know that the world has already been overcome through your faith? Do you not know? Are you not listening to the Holy Spirit who is in you? We can live in victory. We can live in life. We can live in Christ. If we'll just believe the witness of the Holy Spirit, who is witnessing to every one of us, that Jesus is the Son of God. Trust Him. Rest in Him. Believe in Him. He is more than sufficient for this life. Amen? I'll close us in prayer. God, I thank you again um, for bringing us to Jesus. We are so prone, Lord, to look at our circumstances and to see just how critical and impossible things may be. But you're never wringing your hands. You're never filled with worry and anxiety. You are God. And our trust, Lord, if it is anyone other than you, it is misplaced. And I thank you that your word says that those who believe in Jesus will not be disappointed. And we do trust you, O God, to be God in us we might live well, that we would run well, 
finish well because we believe in Jesus who is the Son of God. And I thank you, God, for the confidence and the rest and the peace that we can take because of you. And this life truly does not depend on us. We don't have the wisdom, the strength, the ability. The perseverance and the endurance are not in us, God. But all that we need is in Christ and in Christ alone. And in him, we have life itself, overcoming life. Thank you, God. And we thank you <clears throat> that no matter how we would run, that your word tells us that you, God, will be faithful and that you will finish the good work that you've begun in each one of us. So we thank you and praise you, God, for your consistency, for your faithfulness, and that we can trust wholly in you with joy and confidence. In Christ's name, amen. If y'all would stand and turn in your hymnals to hymn 275.